0: Welcome back, everyone, to episode 18 of the Minot Business Podcast, presented by Bennett Creative Media. I'm your host, Easton Bennett, and we're back with another guest, Caleb Heilman. Caleb, good to have you here. How's it going? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. As always, we're going to get right into the questions. We don't want to bore you. So, Caleb, for the people that have never heard about you, they don't know what you do, they're like, who's Caleb Heilman? Give us a quick elevator pitch of what you do. Uh, So, I I own a company here in town,
1: in Minot, called Heilman's Performance. Uh, We specialize in sports performance training for youth athletes. So uh, pretty wide ranging from strength and conditioning services to basketball skill services. Um, we do baseball, softball skill services. We added a football skills program uh, just a couple of years ago with adding a, an employee with a football background. Um, goodness, we offer swim lessons in the summer. My my wife runs that service for us.
0: Because um, I suppose when you started, you didn't have all these different services correct we so didn't. when you started what did the business look like the main thing <laughs> was just like training yeah we were a 2400 square foot shop okay condominium and we had free weights
1: now uh, that we had we did strength and conditioning services and that was it um i personally engaged a lot with some basketball stuff and um i thought you know what if if i can make myself better at this why can't i help a 10 year old and I thought might as well get that started. So we, we branched out into that service um, and this
0: just kind of moved organically um, since 2014, so. So going back to the beginning, how did you get into the actual field? How did you know, hey, I'm interested in exercise and training and all that stuff?
1: Yeah, it, definitely college sports. Um, so I grew up rurally. We didn't spend a lot of time in the weight room in high school. Um, I was fortunate enough to play college baseball. And then when we got into college baseball, um they made a, a pretty legitimate effort to get us into the weight room um then once i got in the weight room i realized oh this is something i can be pretty good at um and got excited about it started to see results just like anybody does when they get in the weight room got really interested um and then went into a corporate fitness program um at Mount State once i graduated started working i guess even previous uh, before i had graduated um was helping out at a local performance center here in town um, running their summer program and, and that kind of thing. Um, and then I, I ended up working with them full time Okay. Uh, after that. So got some experience there and, and realized that,
0: that this is what I wanted to do. So, okay. So you didn't know you wanted to go into this world and tell about college. No,
1: dude, I didn't even know strength and conditioning was a thing. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize that you could, do that. Okay. Um, so I, I guess one thing a a lot of people don't know about me is that I took a little hiatus from Minot. I I spent a semester down at UND.
0: Oh really? Okay. I didn't know that either.
1: Yeah. And I decided, you know, I didn't want to be a a college athlete anymore. I thought I Mm -hmm. wanted to just kind of get that normal, um, student experience. Um, so I spent a semester down there and then realized real quickly I needed sports in my life. Um, but I'll never forget I was sitting in my apartment and I was watching ESPN. Uh, and I don't know if you ever, remember, if you remember Carl Crawford, Oh yeah. An outfielder for oh, the, yeah. the Tampa Bay Rays forever. Yep. And they just had a, a short special segment on ESPN on him that day. And he was working with a strength and conditioning coach. He mm-hmm. was working with his own private trainer. And I thought, man, this guy's got it. Okay. Hey, this is fantastic. Right. He just spends a couple hours a day with Carl Crawford and, Hangs Show, out with him. Yeah, yeah. Just his buddy. Yeah. Shows him how to optimize, you know, his potential physically for, for baseball. And I thought that's it. That's what I want to do. So okay, came back to Minot, um, uh, got back on the baseball team, uh, got into the corporate fitness program and
0: rest. Cause of history, you, cause you've worked with the, is it the blue Jays? Yeah. So I, so you, you have worked a little bit with like the, I don't know if it's a specific, like a, the Carl Crawford story, but you have worked with a MLB organization. Yeah. So
1: in, in an, uh, an internship, okay. um, that story is, is kind of unique in that I had a, I had a roommate, uh, that I played baseball with that still to this day is one of my greatest mentors. He's like three years younger than me and okay. one of my best mentors. Uh, but he was just unbelievably driven. Um, obviously very intelligent. So mm-hmm. I lived with him for a couple of years in college um, and he, out of school, he went and did an internship with the Anaheim angels and then ended up going to physical therapy school there in Anaheim. Yeah. <laughs> they went to physical therapy school uh, in Duke or at Duke university. Okay. Um, their head of the physical therapy program had some connection to the Toronto blue Jays through spring training. Um, so he had some mm-hmm. opportunities to go there and help out um, parlay that into a full time position with them. Okay. So then once he was full-time with them, had invited me out to do some internship work with, with them. And so uh, I was like, I got this guy back in North
0: Dakota. Let's, let's ship him out here. Yeah. And
1: that was a fantastic experience. Yeah. I was going to ask
0: you, so how was it working with, is everything just, because people always say when you work with these professional organizations, it's just top notch, everything's top notch down to the finest details. Is that somewhat true?
1: Um, I think so. I, you know, the resources are just incredible. There. They're so limitless that, Yeah. um, that, and that part didn't surprise me. Obviously, Toronto mm-hmm. is a pretty large market team. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say, I don't, without sounding arrogant, that it was kind of the opposite. Okay. I felt that it, it was huge for my confidence mm-hmm. for me to get into that staff and and then kind of realize like, well, these guys, yeah, you know, they're, they're they do a really good job and mm-hmm. they are they they run a really tight ship and it was fantastic to see that all the moving parts and all the working parts of such a large organization like that and to see how they organize it and orchestrate that. Um, but on an individual level, you know, they these are normal sports so you kinda, professionals. You
0: felt yeah. like you fit in a little bit, which grew a, the confidence. 100%. 100% which is, yeah. which has probably helped a ton going back into your own business back here in Minot. For sure. Yes. So did you always know, were you always business minded? Uh, I know you didn't really get into the exercise world until you kind of found it in college, but were you always business minded? Is that something that one day down the road, you're like, I want to start a business one day or when did that kind of click?
1: Um, I don't know that I always knew I wanted to start a business, but I think I've always been pretty entrepreneurial minded. Okay. Organizationally minded, I guess. Um, you know, I was always the guy when I played Madden as a kid that I, you know, you start the team and you draft the team, yeah. organize the team and then you play one game and
0: like, Oh, sickness. i want going to do it again. Yeah. I let's do it again. restart it. Yeah
1: right. I, I wasn't ever really interested in mm-hmm. the execution. I just wanted to organize and yeah. uh, and, and manage and that kind of thing. Um, my dad was an entrepreneur okay, uh, his whole life, so he built houses. Uh,
0: so I think some of that was just kind of built into me. So kind of apple didn't fall too far from the tree. Correct. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So business-wise, I know in the beginning, you've got a lot of staff now and people helping you out and everything, but when you first started, did you have to wear multiple hats in the beginning? And if so, what did that look like? For sure. Um, yeah, I did
1: everything. I was the the janitor. I was the, the payroll, the human resources, the lead strength coach, um, all of it. So, um, the, the nice thing about running the private facility was the hours are pretty segmented, right? You're pretty much a before school and after school program. Mm -hmm. Um, outside of the work that I was doing with the minor state baseball team, Mm -hmm. I didn't have a lot of duties to do during the day. So um, basically we would get in at, you know, six o'clock in the morning and we'd train all our morning athletes until eight o'clock in the morning. And then they go to school. Um, But yeah, then clean the gym, whatever, you know, five, six hours. Yeah. Um, I wasn't much of a a reader uh, prior to marrying my current wife, uh, but she's an avid reader, so I spent okay. a lot of my days reading and mm-hmm. uh, trying to learn and, and guide my own professional development. And then, of course, at about three o'clock, the after-school program
0: would start. And so, are you reading books that are like personal development as far as business stuff goes? Or are you reading more exercise science stuff? A little bit of both.
1: Okay, um, I always tried to have kind of one of each going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I made it a point. I always make it a point to do things I'm I'm not great at early in the day. Yep. Um so I would always try and dig into some of the exercise science stuff early in the morning some of the more dense material. Okay. Um you know and then if I had a, a like a
0: professional development book that mm-hmm. I was enjoying reading, um, I would kind of less strenuous I, stuff on your brain yes. later in the day. Yes, I actually read I went to when I was playing hockey up in Canada, I went to some I don't know it was some presentation but there was a motivational speaker and one of the things he said was to do the tasks that take a lot of energy from your brain early in the morning. So whether that be the stuff that you really have to think about, make decisions about. And then later on they do the tasks that are pretty much just on in the background. So if you yeah. got to clean your office or something like that. So I actually started implementing that and I think it's one of the best things I've done because I get, I feel like I get a lot more done.
1: It is like life changing. Yeah. Yeah. I used to get up at, I would get up at like four 30 in the morning just to read. Okay. Cause yeah. I knew if I don't get it done now, I, I won't do it. Yeah. Like my wife can read before bed at night and mm-hmm. I'm just like my brain is mush after yeah. seven thirty at night. So,
0: and maybe that's just, you know, certain people, they, they can do it like your wife. But, uh, yeah, i found that that's one of the tips is like, try to do the hard stuff in the morning. It yep. helps. Um, so did you ever suffer from like imposter syndrome when you started your company? Like where you're like, uh, oh, should I be running a business? Or were you always like, this is, this is the way. Yeah. I don't
1: think that ever goes away. <laughs> that's yeah. I made that face when you said yeah. that. like,
0: I think we're, I mean,
1: at some level, I think if you're stretching yourself, you're always suffering from imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, You're always wondering if you're doing things the right way or if you really know what you know. And I think again, if you're always learning, you always understand that there's more you don't know than you do know. Um, but absolutely. When I first started, I thought, you know, I think when you're working in a company like that, you think like, Oh man, this could be so much better. And yeah. I, I, you know, like every entrepreneur. Yeah. right? I can, when you're an employee. 100%. I could yeah. do this better. And then once you get started, you obviously realize how much was probably going on in the background you didn't realize. Yeah. Um, but then also you're always wondering. And you're like, oh, damn. God, how much are these guys doing that I didn't know
0: about? So. Yeah. And that's something where I think that's one of the things we really hit home on this podcast is kind of shedding a light on how much actually goes into operating a business, because people do have thoughts like that where they're like, oh, you know, I could do this better, this better, but you don't realize how much is actually going on. Uh, So starting your business, um there takes some funding. Uh, How did you kind of go about that? Because I personally am curious that way, because when I started my company, I just kind of put in a little bit of money and just kind of ran it as lean as possible. You know, I think I put in a thousand dollars, got a camera and just started doing my thing. But I was working out of my parent's basement, right? You obviously went a little bit of a different route. you got this shop and you had to obviously get equipment. What did that look like? (laughs) I'm almost embarrassed to admit this
1: publicly, but.
0: I mean, we can cut
1: it out if you need to. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm, well, I'm lucky enough that my dad is pretty well connected. Um, So he knew a couple of local farmers. Okay. Um, And he knew I wanted to get this thing going. He said, hey, Mm -hmm. I got a a couple of buddies that I think would be willing to take a chance on you. you know, we, we got to make it formal. You have to make it
0: legitimate, Um, but we can have paper signed, initialed everything like that.
1: But you know, they're willing to, to put up some money for you. So I went and borrowed, uh, Mm $20,000 at at 8% from these two farmers. And then I took that money and went and used it to borrow more money. Okay, cool. Yeah, Yeah. not what I would recommend.
0: The <laughs> next person starting, I was starting say, their business. Yeah, but. I was going to say that, that. I'm always curious about how people start actually brick and mortars when they actually need a place to go. Because I do my stuff pretty much remote. And obviously we're here and I'm working out in my home studio. But uh, yeah, it's always interesting to see. So what did you, that money, how did that kind of kickstart your company?
1: Well, so I had a, yeah, I obviously had a a loan uh, out for that $20,000 with the farmers that I paid back. Yep. Um, and then I was able to go borrow money um, to purchase basically my equipment. Um, but the, the $20,000 uh, was was used to borrow things that, of course, the bank isn't going to finance, you know. Yeah. Foam rollers and flooring. And- yeah. I mean, I didn't even have a strip of turf when I first opened my gym. We laid down pontoon carpet. Okay. Boat carpet so yeah. we could push sleds and Okay. Um, you know, stuff like that that I
0: just I knew I I was going to need to provide a quality training mm-hmm. environment. So, um, sorry to cut you off, but to people that are starting a company and they're worried about taking out money, they're worried about, okay, I have these loans. Is that something where it's not necessarily a bad thing to take out money if you're starting things as long as you're prepared? What would you advise to those people?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think you should let the fear of that cripple you. I mean, obviously debt can, can cripple you. Yeah. Um, but at, at some level, yeah. I mean, it's when you're young and you're just out of school and you know, I was serving tables for five years, barely paying my rent and my car payment. Um, so I got out and, and I knew I could, I knew I could make it work. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's, it's tough to come up with the money and I was lucky enough to find people that were willing to invest without taking my ownership. Um, and ultimately if you understand that, that, you know, ownership is king. Um, you know, don't don't give up a fraction of your ownership. Um, but yeah, if, if you think you can make it work and it's so funny that the, the person who like ultimately convinced me to take the leap, um, was my mom. Okay. she, She said, I told her how much I, I needed to borrow. And it was like $57,000, right? Which mm-hmm. at the time is like, yeah, dude, like- Where am I going to get 57000 Absolutely. Like I have anxiety if I owe one of my teammates a hundred bucks. Yeah. So 57 grand, I'm like freaking out about. And like, it's this massive life decision. And she's like, oh, Caleb, I was like people pay that for a car. <laughs> and, if you think about it like that. And right? really
0: like when she put it in perspective like that, I was like, all right, yeah. I'm doing it. Business, so, yeah. You can't drive your business, but hundred <laughs> yeah. percent, yeah, but no, that's cool. So that kind of brings me to my next question about relationships. Why do you think relationships are so important and so important when starting your business, but also maintaining your business? Obviously you've been in business for a while now. Why do you think those relationships are so important? Oh, I mean, I mean, a,
1: a quality network is, is everything. And I think that, um, is, is so important a, because at some point Especially early when you're by yourself, you're gonna need help, mm-hmm. and you're gonna need good help. Um, you know, I think especially in a town like this one that everybody knows everybody. Yep. I mean, you burn a bridge, and that is forever. Mm-hmm. And by burning one bridge, you're probably burning more than one bridge. know, people town don't like
0: realize this. that. I don't think. Not always. Like they don't know the trickle effect of okay, if I burn this one, well, they're connected to these ten people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so. So having a, a good reputation is, has been important to me. Um, and I, I think it's important to anybody who wants to run a business, probably anywhere, but, you know, mm-hmm. especially in a community like like Minot. Um, you know, and, and we haven't done everything perfect and and we haven't succeeded in every single endeavor, uh, but it's important to me. It's been important to me to um, never sever any of those personal ties yeah. uh, whenever a, a, maybe a, a
0: business dealing doesn't go as intended. Mm -hmm. So So pivoting a little bit now more into the athlete side of things, how did you go about getting those first clients? Your first, your first athletes you trained.
1: Yep. So like I said, I was already uh, working at a a local summer program. And, and if I'm being honest, I, I kind of just had a sense that if I left that these athletes I had developed the relationship with, with, yeah, would, would probably follow. Um, it did get to the point that I was kind of the young pushy employee okay um, that wanted to change some things and wanted to move some things around and um, things were just moving a little too slow for me and yeah and that's where I felt like I should move on and and really I, I would say that was probably the gamble because I didn't have access to enough financing up front for my first um, couple of programs to not go well okay but I the timing was was pretty Good in that I started in May. So I had a month before a summer program. Okay. And I suppose that helps then. Yeah. Summer kids aren't in school. Right. Summer programs are always more lucrative. So mm-hmm. I knew if I could get through May, I thought I would at least have, you know, four weeks to get some marketing out there and, yep. and hopefully get some people in for.
0: Um, and that's for sometimes when you see the gap in the market where if you are at a place like that and you want to make changes and you really can't, that is an opportunity where you can, okay, go do it on your own and actually make it work. For sure. Yep. So do you remember the first time that someone paid you to train? What was that feeling like? Where are like, wow, I can make a living out of this. Um and that doesn't specifically have to be your own business, but even when you got a job doing this, yeah. What was that feeling like?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say that was like the first summer job I got uh working in private strength and conditioning, where it was it was strange to me. Yeah, like, man, people actually pay for this, yeah. you know. Um but I would say the first time I had that feeling that like oh man this could go well and and this may be something long term that is worthwhile would be that first summer program. I mean I think I I went to the bank with my first deposit and it was like twelve grand yeah. you know and I was like I've never You're seen like, this is twelve thousand dollars in a checking account. Before, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I mean that was probably the my first realization of like okay. Like this is yeah. just the tip of the iceberg for what something like this could be. Like obviously, sports are not going anywhere anytime soon in our society, um, and the preparation for them mm-hmm. is is not going anywhere. So um, yeah, that was kind of my first realization of like this might be a, a good long term investment. I don't think it's ever going to be big money or quick money, but uh, if you do it right, there's there's definitely a a standing market here. So
0: that's what's kind of cool about running a business is there's a certain point when you hit. It's not necessarily one moment, but when you hit something, we're like, oh, it's almost like a clicking moment. Like this might work. I remember when I was doing it, I, the first year I was in business, I made like $8,000 for a full year. And I was like, wow, I can't live off (laughs) $8,000, right? And then I was, uh, shooting a documentary for the Vistas actually. So Pat, you know, Pat, and, uh, we were shooting that and I was doing it totally for free. And I was just putting these episodes together because I wanted to get content out there. And I got a job offering from someone that saw it. And right then, and obviously I didn't take the job, but that was kind of my moment where I was like, okay, someone thinks my work's good enough to try to hire me. I think there's something with that. So that's one piece of advice I would give to people is that if they're starting a business, there's always going to be that one moment, unless you're like really bad, but there's always going to be that one moment that clicks and then you kind of have some momentum to run into it. For sure. Yeah. And I, I
1: think there are probably opportunities that you've, not, you've never even thought of. Yeah. You know, that's, that's huge.
0: And that just comes with, the years of actually being in the business where you start to think of new ideas and new opportunities. Absolutely. So a lot of businesses work with professionals, uh, generally adults. You work with a younger demographic, obviously you work with college kids and high school kids too, but how is that a little bit, how do you have to flip that switch in your mind from working with adults to working with these, this younger demographic? Uh,
1: Yeah, it's, it's certainly different. And I, I think one thing that we've dealt with at is performance and, maybe it's my fault. Cause I put my name on the front door mm-hmm. is, you know, when people come to Heilman's performance, if they're not training with Heilman, okay. sometimes it's like, yeah. Hey, where's the guy at, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but my style of coaching has shifted so much over the years. And much of that is contributed, you know, to working with college athletes. Yep. Um, you treat them a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. um then you do your your youth athletes um that you know it, I wouldn't say I'm disconnected from training youth athletes but yeah. my mentality has certainly shifted to um Between being, college being a college strength and conditioning coach as opposed to uh training youth athletes I still love digging into the the youth athletes getting in into the weight room and and helping them learn and and those kinds of things but mm-hmm. You know there are times where I have to kind of check myself. Yeah, uh, working with that population as opposed to the adult population. So,
0: so that's a perfect transition into you've built partnerships, relationships with different organizations. How have you built that and grown that into actually working with these outside organizations to either come to your facility or have Heilman's performance be invested in these other programs? Yeah, I mean I think it
1: circles back to the previous part of our conversation. It's just relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and being, I think, willing to, to take an opportunity when it was presented. Um, you know, when I first started working with the baseball team, uh, I certainly wasn't making money Mm -hmm. by investing my time and energy into that. It was just a program that I cared a lot about and I wanted to see them do well. I also wanted an opportunity to, uh, a work with college athletes and, and B earn some more experience and program design and getting on the floor and coaching. Um, so, you know, I was giving them a little bit and they were given back. And, uh, you know, at some point we, we had some success and then that was parlayed into, you know, my current position, the director
0: of sports performance on campus. Why do you think it's important to, you mentioned you weren't getting paid a ton in the beginning when you started. But why do you think it's important to take those leaps of faith into something that you think can blossom into something else?
1: Um, you know, I think A, if you believe that, the only way to improve is to do, you know, obviously then it's important yeah. to just find any opportunity possible to do things. I mean, if you w- actually want to be good at something, got to dig in and do them. Yeah. Um, and B, I you know, I think there's a, there's a human um, variable to that, where I think people then just naturally want to reciprocate. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think it, it got to the point, um, you know, on campus where it was like, Hey, this guy's kind of been in the background doing a really good thing for one of our programs. So when that position opened up, it was, you know, probably thought that maybe we should at least have a conversation with him and Mm -hmm. see what he can provide for us. And so I do think humans just naturally want to reciprocate good deeds and um, you do good things and, and typically they'll come back to you.
0: I think a good saying is a lot of people say dress for the position you want. And I almost say do the work that you want to be paid for. So there's a lot of times in my industry, video stuff, we create spec ads and these films and everything that we're not getting paid to do, but it's maybe an industry we want to break into. Let's say, okay, it's weddings. I'll do this wedding for free. You, I'm sure it's the same for training, right? Did you think, okay, well, if I want to train college athletes, I got to start by training college athletes even if I'm not getting any money.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And the nice thing about it was I could, um, you know, I could sprinkle in some altruism there. I, it made me feel good that I was giving back to a program that yeah. I was a part of, you know, um, uh, mm-hmm. Of course, it was an opportunity for me. Um, and then, you know, also I wanted to prove to myself that I could manage a weight room full of college athletes. Yeah. Obviously, that's different than managing a weight room full of 11-year-olds. Yeah. You know, the egos are a little bigger. And, <laughs> yep. Uh, so, yeah, I wanted to prove that I could dig in and, and
0: manage that and help those guys improve too, so. How do you get to know your athletes on a personal level? <coughs> why, do you, why do you think it's important to get to know them on a personal level instead of just you know, I'm your coach. I see a one hour day and then we're gone.
1: Um, you know, I think it's, it just happens kind of organically. Um, I don't know that it, it's really forced. There are obviously some coaches that are better at it than others. Um, and there are also some athletes, you know, especially at the college level, I'd say that don't necessarily need that. Okay. I don't yeah. want that. You know, there are some, some athletes, especially on campus that the relationship really is transactional and mm-hmm. it's Hey, I'm going to and get out. my stuff done. Tell me what I need to do. Tell me how to do it. Make sure I'm doing it properly. And then I got to go. Yeah. Um,
0: I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But for the most part, you know, it, I would say, especially at the college level, it's, there's so many of them, especially on our campus. I yeah. mean, we have 459 athletes. Oh, dang. Um, so to have an individual relationship with all of them, mm-hmm. um, is obviously I suppose it gets difficult, not realistic, but you do, you, you get close to guys, especially guys that are there for, you know, just, I mean, goodness, with COVID, we've had guys on campus for six years now yeah. that you do. You just get to know them and you get close to them. Um, I think most importantly is that you're able to channel energy and develop a relationship with the group as okay. a whole. Yeah. You, know, you have a different relationship with each team. Um, and and that is important, absolutely, that they can see you as a person and
0: they can trust you and you're such a huge part of their development. So, so going back to Heilman's performance now, I want to talk a little bit about the implementation of the sports specific training. So what was the thought process behind that when you started adding, I know you added the batting cage and you got the basketball court. What does that look like? Or what did that look like when you were having this discussion, whether it's with yourself or other people and Hey, we should start adding these skills. Yeah. Um, So I I think just being so infant,
1: um, you know, but also having adults working there, I knew when I, open the company. I didn't ever, I didn't necessarily want to be, you know, one adult oversight, you know, with oversight, yep. hiring a bunch of hourly employees to just kind of yep. piece things together. Um I knew I wanted some salaried employees and adults that, you know, when parents came and dropped their kids off, it's like, okay, that's not an 20 year olds just some but, random, yeah. Yeah, not that twenty-year-olds aren't capable yeah. in the weight room, but mm-hmm. it's it's. I think it's nice to see that, like, oh, those are clearly adults running the show here. Yeah. Um, so I knew I wanted that, and with that, of course, comes you know more demanding pay mm-hmm. scales. Uh, so our business model had just always kind of been that you know everybody has to be capable in the weight room. Everybody has to be willing and able to help with strength and conditioning, um, but in order to scale the pay. We have to add these kind of specific areas, complementary services. Yes. Okay. Cool. Um, so obviously, with Pat, you know, baseball was was kind of an easy thing to do there. Uh, mm-hmm. I had kind of started the basketball skills stuff, um, and then you know when we had Sean come on, it was kind of creative, yeah, stuff, creative media uh, plus strength and conditioning. So,
0: so as far as a business in general, if we're talking to someone that's starting a business or they offer one service, what would be your advice on? adding more services to grow the business. Yeah. Um, I was actually thinking about this before I came. Okay. I, I think Perfect.
1: being able to understand the difference between growing and scaling okay. is really important because they're, they're completely different. I mean, growing isn't generally difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're in, you know, I guess a business like yours where, you know, in order to grow, you probably don't need more square footage. Mm-hmm. You don't need to really add any overhead all the time in order to grow. Yeah. Um, a lot of yours probably comes in the form of opportunities, or maybe more time. Yep. Um, but in a service-based industry like ours, uh, typically, in order to grow and add services, we typically need more square footage, you mm-hmm. know, which then, of course, adds more utilities and yep, and those kinds of more things. overhead. Yeah. So, trying to figure out how do you how do you scale a business as opposed to just growing? Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times your options aren't adding 800 square feet a lot of times it's you add zero square feet or you add six thousand square feet yeah it's like okay well i don't know that you I can't pick like yeah. i just need 300 yeah 100 yeah. percent yeah so especially you know early on you are oftentimes pigeonholed into the some of those decisions mm-hmm. um so with the complimentary services you know that was a huge part of like god can i squeeze a basketball court in over there like i'm okay if i can do it i'm i'm gonna do it you know and that mm-hmm. was Part of the scaling as opposed to, um, you know, just, just growing. Okay. You know, I guess if you're going to take on more square footage, that's always been our thing is we're going to try and monetize every square inch of this facility, Mm -hmm. even if it's not perfect. At some point, you're going to
0: get somebody out there that sees this as valuable and. Yeah. And wants to come utilize it. So that's a question I actually didn't have on here, but I wanted to ask you about. You started with the one shop, correct? Yep. What did the transition like into getting the whole, because now you have the whole complex, correct? Not the whole thing. We have three of the four units. Okay, so what did it look like when you were expanding?
1: Uh, So we started in that 2,400 square foot unit. Yep. Uh, Right next door to the west was a 2,400 square foot unit. And Mm -hmm. I was lucky that the people that were leasing that unit actually purchased theirs and my unit. Okay. From my landlord. So my landlord changed. Um, so my landlord was right next door, which mm-hmm. was nice. Um, after we grew for a little bit and Pat was considering uh, getting out of college sports and, yep. you know, wanting to settle down and have a little more consistency to his life. I said, well, what do you think about putting a batting cage up in here? And, mm-hmm. you know, you can help in the weight room and try and supplement your with some baseball stuff. Um, I went next door and said, hey, you guys have any interest in moving over? And letting me knock this wall out. and Okay. Uh, so then we cut the wall out. So then we were 4,800 square feet, put the batting cage in. Um, and then ironically, I'd always had a basketball hoop just sitting out in the in the driveway. Yeah. Kids to just shoot around on and dink around before yep. after training sessions. Um, one of my buddies was down and he's like, hey, he's like, I think you could shoot hoops in here. And we, I said, well, I'll test it. So yep. I went out and grabbed the basketball court and wheeled it in there. And I was like this is it. Yeah. This is money. I'm buying a basketball court. (laughs) Let's go. So then we had batting cage basketball court in the weight room in that 4,800 square foot facility. Um, then when we took on the contract with the university that provided some more, uh, um, you know, financial freedom that we cut a doorway in then to the current weight room, which is now in a 3,600 square foot facility, baseball and basketball services are in that old 4,800
0: square foot facility. Cool. So there any, uh, you know, when hiring, I want to talk about employees a little bit. I don't have any employees uh, full time, but is there anyone, are there any things that someone should look for when hiring their first employees? What do you look for when hiring? Um, You know, I, I've leaned pretty heavily on, you know, I think the old
1: Mike Boyle saying is, you know, I can teach you to coach. I can't teach you to be a good person. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I just look first and foremost for people that are good people. And I think share a relatively similar perspective on the world of, of youth sports that I do. Okay. Um, you know, and then of course we, you know, we can, we can teach them all the things they need to know to fit into our system and, and run the weight room and, uh, make sure they're, they're coaching technique and those kinds of things. All those hard skills at some point can be taught to anyone. Taught Absolutely. It's those soft skills that, that obviously you want to find early, um, you know, we're working with youth athletes Mm -hmm. in Minot, North Dakota.
0: Um, you know, you got to be able to work with the kids. Yeah.
1: The opportunity that you get to work with, a a really high performing elite athlete is so rare at some point, you know, a majority of the kids that come through your door are, are just excited. If you can get them from the C team junior varsity or the C team, uh, junior high basketball team to the B team.
0: Yeah. Right. So just minor upgrades. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The key is to get, you know, people in there that, that are, are welcoming and these kids can trust and they Mm want to work with and they can develop a relationship with, and we can get them comfortable engaging with physical activity and
0: engaging in the weight room. So, so what are some strategies that you've used to market your business, things that have worked? And is there anything that you've tried? That's like, wow, we tried this and it just didn't pan out. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So Instagram was still
1: relatively, I don't want to say new. Yep. But like when I first opened the fact that there was like something you could take a picture with, yep. you could take a picture and upload it immediately for people to see. was like, this is crazy. Life-changing. It was a huge. Yeah. Cause that was always my thing was I don't, I didn't want my marketing to just be, um, I didn't want it to be fluff. I wanted mm-hmm. it. I wanted people to have a real candid look into what we were doing. Yeah. Cause I think that's important. Obviously if you're new service, most people are just curious yeah. about what's going on inside those
0: walls. Instead of making it look picture perfect, you have
1: to be like, hey, here's what's going on right hundred, now. Absolutely. So that was really my only strategy early was like, "I'm if I think somebody is doing something that's worth sharing, I'm just going to film it. Yeah. And I'm going to put it out there and let people see it. And uh, if they think that's something they would want their kid to be doing or be able to do, then they're probably going to give me a call.
0: Um, the early days of Instagram. That was yeah, crazy. Yeah.
1: I mean, no stories. Yeah. No, it was literally just a video or a picture yeah. on a feed. So, um, yeah, it sounds so simple, but that was really it early. And then of course you could link it to your Facebook account. Yep. So it posted to Instagram and Facebook and I would say more of our target market was on Instagram, but the mm-hmm. parents were on Facebook. So
0: to be able to hit both of those two birds stoned at once, I say, yeah. and it's, <laughs> and it's free. Yeah. Well, that's crazy. a nice part. You don't have to pay thousands of dollars to run a TV ad or go on, uh, the radio or anything. Uh, and that's kind of how social media almost changed the game for marketing. Yes.
1: It's crazy. And there's so many more eyeballs. Oh yeah. It's it. awesome.
0: Uh, what do you enjoy? Only a couple more questions here for you. What do you enjoy about the business process? What's kind of your favorite thing as far as the business side of things goes?
1: Um, I, you know, I think at this point, just seeing it grow, I mean, is, is super rewarding. Um, You know, I think what I had mentioned previously, just getting kids in and seeing them engage and get comfortable in the weight room. And we'll get kids that come in that have, you know, they're so shy and timid at Mm -hmm. 10 years old and then they'll come every summer. And by the time they're 15, 16 years old, it's like, Oh, it's a whole different person. Yeah. Like you're confident and you're turned yourself into a pretty good athlete and you know, like you're engaged in conversation with these guys that you've been working with for five or six years. And, yeah. um, you know, that, that has been super rewarding. I had said when I first opened it, that I wanted it to be a place that you would have had to kick me and my friends out of. Yeah. Um, and I, I Somewhere think we can hang out at, yes. And I think that along with the people we've hired, it's, it's become that, I think we've done a good job of, you know, really, I just hired my friends. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but they're so good at getting kids comfortable and they're such likable guys mm-hmm. that, you know, we have that. We have people come and you can genuinely tell like, this is probably the best part of their day. Like yeah. they're excited to be here. So
0: that's been super rewarding. So two more for you, Mount Rushmore, of the, Mount Rushmore of business advice. People that are starting a business or they're in the early stages of a business what Would be your four pieces of advice that you would give that person? Doesn't have to be anything crazy, but just kind of four bullet points. Well, uh, I guess first and foremost, don't spend more than you
1: make. <laughs> yeah, that's a good start. That's a good one. Um, read man, like that has been so big for me. Um, and it's not easy. It, it I was not a good reader when I first started, but again, it's just a hard skill, like any other thing, like mm-hmm. you sit down and uh, get yourself to do it. But you know, I always say that like, if you can liken learning anything to learning a new language, uh, like watching YouTube and, and social media is, is like taking a class on that language and, yep. and reading a book is like going to live in that country. I mean, it, oh, yeah. it's, it's just, you just get immersed in these concepts mm-hmm. for so much longer that I think they stick and yep. you seem to get more actionable, um, information out of out of reading more long-form content like that in books um so for me just being willing and and able to sit down and consistently read has been so big to for me and, and my growth um you know I think you alluded to it earlier uh be willing to wear multiple hats I don't mm-hmm. think there's any way around that like, yeah um you know I Unless you have
0: partners or something but most people when they start, it's just kind of them.
1: Yeah. I think there's a lot of, a lot of people that, you know, I think I was never willing to pay for things that I could do myself. Yeah. I still clean my own toilets. Mm-hmm. I'm still vacuuming and mopping the weight room, um, those kinds of things. So I try and do a lot of those things so I can free the people up that I hired to do certain things to do those things. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't hire my strength and conditioning coaches to mop the weight room. Yeah. So um, I can handle some of those things. Um, and then now I'm going to contradict that a little bit. I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, Naval Ravikant, but he wrote a, I don't know if I am a book called his almanac. Okay. Uh, and he always says, if, if you consider yourself a, a leader in, um, in your organization, yep. uh, anything that is not, anything that does not require energy to be creative or a, personal endeavor, uh, interpersonal endeavor, Yep. you know, should be, should be delegated or automated. Okay. Um, and that for me, I had also read, God, probably five or six years ago, the four hour work week. I don't know if yep. you're familiar with that. Yeah. Tim Ferriss. Yep. Um, And that's obviously about automation, right? The whole like thing automating is automating your yes. entire life. Yeah. And I don't know that I'll ever get to that point, but that was huge for me Yeah. to really kind of dig in and figure out, okay, what am I wasting my time on? But where am what I wasting I time and energy? Yeah. What can I delegate? What can I automate again without devaluing the people that I've hired? Cause yeah. I, I don't love that either. I don't mm-hmm. love when people hire people to do a certain job and then all of a sudden you're spending six hours a day cleaning toilets. Yeah. Like you're that. going
0: to strength coach, but you also have to do this on this Yeah. Side. And yeah. I, I think, especially
1: when you're in these service-based industries, you know, like we put such a high premium on, intellectual ability and in coaching, right? Yeah. Like your job is to, to out intellect, right? Mm-hmm. The opponent. And now we're going to tell you, but also six hours of your day is to go clean that toilet yeah, and mop the weight room. A yeah. lot of, you know, I think it, it devalues that employee employer relationship. Um, yeah. but yeah, delegate and automate,
0: um, whatever you can without devaluing the people. I like that. It's kind of pulling from both sides. Uh, What is last one I got for you? What's your North star? Is there anything on the horizon that you're looking to bring or anything that you're working on or just kind of getting better day after day?
1: Um, Yeah, I I think we still have a lot of work to do here Um, in our, you know, in our our current space We're we're trying to own. So we're, we're trying to figure out a way to uh, purchase the property we're in um, or find a different property. That's, you know, January 1 of of 2024 is kind of the target date for that. Okay. Um, We'd like to have a, a little bit of ownership, um, Mm -hmm. in actual commercial real estate. Uh, so that is, is something I've committed a ton of time and energy to lately. Yep. Trying to figure out how we get that done. Um, but I would say longer term, um, I'm still committed to, to making sure that kids and athletes in rural communities have an opportunity to engage in quality, strength and conditioning. Yeah. Cause like I said, I, it was something that if you would have taught me how to do it when I was 11, 12 years old, I would have never left. Yeah. You would have had to kick me out of the weight room. I just fell in love with it in college. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I went to school in a rural farm community and we just, we didn't have a great weight room and we didn't really have anybody hundred percent committed to teaching us how to utilize it the right way. So, yeah. So um, you want to fill
0: that gap in the market there. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, it's important. Cool. So. Awesome. Well, that was a good conversation, Caleb. Thank you very much. Where can people find you on the internet? How can they, uh, you know, learn more about Heilman's performance?
1: Uh, we have a Facebook, Instagram, Twitter account. It's all, I think just at Heilman's performance. Cool. Um, again, I've hired out for, yep. for that to be run. Yep. Uh, so I don't really engage much with the social media anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty committed to just doing what I'm doing
0: in, in real life. There you Um, go. um but yeah cool we'll throw all those links below uh, Caleb thank you very much for coming on Absolutely. we we will uh, see you guys next week for episode I don't even know this is 18 we'll see you guys next week for episode 19 of the my not business podcast.